1: And welcome to episode number 105 of The Draft Analysts, presented by the Belief Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? I'm your host, Chris Trapoti. Joining me, as always, is Tony Pauline. And Tony, we have just three bowl games left to be played, four if you want to include the national title game. What are you going to take away from this year's bowl season as a whole?
2: How wrong I've been. <laughs> I mean, as far as uh, making game predictions, uh, in our last podcast, I, I thought that Baylor would roll all over Georgia, that Georgia had nothing to play for. And as we saw, that was in fact not the case. And I thought that Ohio State would be, uh, would be Clemson. So uh, that's why I don't gamble. And that's why people should not take gambling advice from me. Uh, but basically, I, I mean, there have been some fun games or a lot of good games on January 1st games that came down to the wire games that were competitive, which is great to see. You hate seeing those blowout games. Uh, really even through most of bowl season, there were a lot of, you know, really some close games rather than games like the Oklahoma uh, LSU game, which were, you know, 50 point blowouts.
1: Yeah. And one thing I've learned over the past couple of years, even if it's doing just like those free bowl pick and pools is that the team with the, best prospects or the least guys sitting out or whatever. They're not always the team that ends up winning the game as, uh, as I've learned by not being successful, just like uh, a couple of your picks there. So it's, it's one of those things like it's, you can have all the prospects in the world, but what matters is on the field. And we talk all the time. Some of these teams get here. They don't have any guys of note, but they're just well-coached football teams who play the game well. And a lot of times they end up winning.
2: Well, you look at last year where Georgia significantly overmatched Texas in the sugar bowl. And then they lose. They basically didn't even show up. And then you look at the game this year against Baylor where they were undermatched, you know, primarily from the guys who, you know, sat out and, and what happens, they beat the uh, Baylor. So you never know.
1: It's why they play the games, as we always say. And we're going to start with some recaps of the recent bowl games. We're going to start with one game from Monday night, and that's the Capital One Orange Bowl between Florida and Virginia. The Gators won this one 36-28. No Jordan Mack. For UVA, and that meant a big game on the ground for Florida and Lamichael P. Ryan, who had 181 total yards and three touchdowns. Van Jefferson, six catches for 129 yards. Both will play on the All-Star circuit. P. Ryan will be at the Senior Bowl. Jefferson at the Shrine Bowl. And joining P. Ryan in Mobile will be teammates and defensive ends Jonathan Grenard and Jabari Zuniga. Both guys in this game, though, pretty quiet. What do you see overall from the Gators here, Tony?
2: Both of those guys have injuries and they're dealing with with injuries. You know, P Ryan's a, a good last day selection. He's got excellent size. He pounced it out on the inside. I don't know that he really improved his draft stock during this game, but I think he's a good late round pick six round area uh, who will be a backup at the next level a spot starter, short yardage runner. I, I thought that Brad Stewart, the junior safety really had a good game. Uh, Stewart was a guy who I gave him high ratings coming into the season Uh, But he was suspended, I believe, the first three or four games because of off-the-field incidents or uh, violation of team rules, whatever you want to call it. I thought he came together well towards the end of the season. I think David Reese, the undersized but pretty quick linebacker, runs to the ball well. I thought he also played very well. Uh, So with the big guns on the Florida defense dealing with injuries, really not playing at full speed, I I thought a lot of these other second-tier Gator defenders who are going to be last day picks. Uh, Maybe Brad Stewart can move into the middle rounds uh, if he uh if he gets it back together when he enters the draft. I thought they did a very good job.
1: Now on the Cavalier side of things, Bryce Perkins might have had, I think, his best passing half of the season in the first half. He did miss several throws in the second half, though, and a lot of those throws could have changed the complexion of the game. Receiver Hassis Dubois really continued to just catch everything thrown his way. At least that's within his catch radius. 10 catches for 83 yards and two scores. Joe Reed had a fine game, too. Seven catches, 52 yards, and a touchdown. Defensively, safety Joey Blunt and linebacker Charles Snowden made an impact for Virginia as well. So it wasn't all for naught for them despite the loss here.
2: Yeah, it's good to see Charles Snowden play relatively well. He was a guy who I had highly rated coming into the year. Basically, in the early uh, part of the season, he was non-existent. Finished the game with five tackles, one tackle for loss, one sack. He's an interesting prospect. He's a guy who goes about six foot five, only about 225 pounds, but he moves well around the field. He's someone who I think could develop into a very good 3-4 outside linebacker as he physically matures. Nice to see him get off the snide. And, you know, you mentioned Joe Reed. Joe Reed's a guy who could be a potential late-round pick. We're gonna see him at the Shrine Game. A guy who coming into the season w- was graded as a uh, as a priority free agent by Scouts. He's got excellent size speed numbers. And Reed's the type of guy off the season he had. He's probably moved into the late rounds of the uh, draft. We'll have to wait and see how he does at the Shrine game.
1: Now, on to the New Year's Eve games here. We'll start with the Belk Bowl, Kentucky against Virginia Tech. The Wildcats won this one 37-30 on a Lynn Bowden Jr. touchdown pass in the final minute. Not something you expect to hear or see. It was just his sixth completion of the game, only his second of the second half, and the first one, was actually earlier on that drive, a fourth down conversion to keep the game alive. Kentucky also played that whole final drive without Logan Stenberg. Not sure if it was an injury. He did get benched earlier in the game after getting a personal foul penalty, but that was brief, and he came back. Not really sure what was going on there. Obviously, back to Bowden here, not much of a passer, but just a good football player. Obviously, those main contributions for him are on the ground, 34 carries for 233 yards and two scores. The broadcasters mentioned some first-round hype on him. I can't see that for a guy who's going to be a role player. But what is Bowden's ultimate next level of fit, Tony?
2: Yeah, I think it's going to be as a receiver, as a return specialist, a guy who can run reverses on occasion and occasionally throw the option pass. And I agree with that. It sounds great to say he's going to be a first-round pick. I just don't see it at all. I mean, maybe he's a second-day guy. I could see somebody like an Andy Reid or, or, or even, uh, you know, Harry Roseman of Philadelphia taking this guy in the second day of the draft and then developing him uh, over the course of time. Uh, you know, his role is going to be a versatile guy. He's, he's coming in as very raw at every position. So you're going he's going to have to learn the receiver position, learn to, uh, to return kicks or punts, and then basically, you know, run reverses and, and potentially throw the option pass. So you're drafting an athlete that you have to mold into a football player.
1: Kind of like what the Carolina Panthers uh, have been trying to do with a guy like Curtis Samuel who grabbed in the second round out of Ohio State a couple years ago.
2: Well, you look at Terrell Pryor. I mean, the list goes on and on uh, with, with these sorts of guys. Uh, Curtis Samuel is a guy who was a skill player uh, who they are trying to develop for multiple roles, and I was surprised after selecting Christian McCaffrey and the first round, was it the first round that year or the first round the year before uh, they went back with Curtis Samuel? I, I think Bowden, similar situation, uh, terrific athlete, but does not have the same sort of uh, body uh, of work at the skilled positions.
1: Yeah, and I think that was the same year, which was weird because you wonder how those pieces are going to fit together. But we'll move on here and we'll hit the Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl between Arizona State and Florida State. Both of these teams were missing their star running backs, no Eno Benjamin or Cam Akers. As you said before when you were talking about Pirine, not really a performance that can be had in a bowl game that's going to drastically improve the stock of a running back, just like if they go back to school. They're not going to necessarily improve their stock. Sun Devils wide receiver Brandon Ayuk and Seminoles defensive tackle Marvin Wilson also sat this game with injuries. With FSU missing Akers and ASU losing over half of their offensive production, the game was predictably ugly. The Sun Devils did come out on top 2016, but Tamerian Terry was probably the star of this game. Nine catches, 165 yards, and a touchdown. He's returning to school next year, which could be a good thing. Not only his final drive fumble that ended FSU's hopes for the win, but he also has some other inconsistencies to work out. Drops a lot of passes. Doesn't always come up with a big play, but he is a big play threat. And for a guy who's 6'4", he's very elusive and strong after the catch.
2: Yeah, I thought he played relatively well. I mean, with him, it's a situation how fast is he? What kind of quickness does he show? I think with Florida State, the issue was just terrible quarterback play, as has been the case really for about wow, two and a half years now. I mean, they just can't get the situation right at the quarterback position, which is why they're losing game after game. And we saw that uh, with some really, uh, really poor interceptions. I believe there's a pick six, if I remember, in this game. Um and overall, there were no, like you said, there were no great performances. I thought Cole Cabral had a decent game. Cabral is going to be the top senior center as we move towards the draft. Although he's going to be a very late round pick, as we've mentioned a number of times on this podcast, uh, the center position is going to be dictated by the number of underclassmen who went through the draft. We've already seen a couple, but Cabral is what he, he is. He's a solid, serviceable guy. I think he's a sort of a, uh, a system scheme t- uh, type of guy, a power running scheme. He's not a guy who's good on his feet. He's not the most nimble guy, but he tries hard, and I think he gets drafted late.
1: Now you mentioned that pick six in this game. That's the only touchdown that Arizona State scored in this game. They didn't have an offensive touchdown, and that's the one that put them ahead for the final score. So just a, a horrid game from James Blackman. They're going back and forth with quarterbacks, and that just didn't work out. Um, but Cabral did have a good game. I mean, he's a guy just always looking for somebody to hit, and you love to see that kind of nasty attitude. The problem with him is he can be moved off a spot a little bit. He's probably on the ground a little bit too often. So while he's a solid player, as you said, he's not much more than a later type of day three pick.
2: You know, and that's why he's going to be a late-round pick, and as far as the Arizona State offense is concerned, their top offensive skill players sat out the game. So, uh, you know, you're basically – Uh, you're not starting from scratch, but uh, when you take uh, two major players, uh, receiver and a running back out of the lineup, uh, that's going to hurt you.
1: Absolutely. And next up here, we'll head to the AutoZone Liberty Bowl, where Navy beat Kansas State 20 to 17. Not too much of note, but similarly to Lynn Bowden Jr. before, a run first quarterback is the story in this one. Navy's Malcolm Perry, who we discussed two shows ago, 28 carries for 213 yards, Not the same level of strength as a guy like Bowden, or really the speed and burst, but he's probably quicker. He's a better passer. Not that that matters much for either player outside of gadget terms because neither of them are going to play the position at the next level. But, Tony, how would you compare these two guys?
2: Well, I think Perry is more accomplished at his spot for the next level, which is the running back position. Perry, if he decides to enter the draft, if he doesn't, if he decides to basically push back his military commitment and he's selected by a team uh, in the April draft, which could happen in the late rounds, he's being drafted as a running back. And I think with Perry, it's just a matter of him developing some pass catching hands because I think you can put Perry in a game next year in the NFL as a situational third down runner and you're going to have immediate success with him. Where with uh, Bowden, it might take a little bit longer to develop his skills. I don't think Perry has the same amount of upside as Lynn Bowden, but Perry is a smart, tough ball carrier. He has incredible quickness, incredible feet, and I think he really projects well to the next level uh, as a situational runner, as a third down back. Now, as we said when we talked about this game to preview this game, and as was mentioned, during the broadcast of the game, you got to see if Perry takes advantage of the new rule, which allows him to delay his service, service requirements, or service commitments to the Navy and plays uh, in the NFL next year. It's going to be interesting to see what we'll see him at the shrine game. I'm sure that question is going to be asked of him numerous times. We'll see what the answer is.
1: And there was a recent story. I know we talked about this a lot last year, uh, or was it two years ago, when it was Brett Toth um, out of Army there was a major league pitcher or a minor league pitcher, I should say that uh, came out of Navy as well. And he's got to miss two seasons because his waiver to play and continue his professional career was denied by the department of defense. So even if Perry makes that decision that he wants to play in the NFL next year, In the end, it's kind of out of his hands whether he's going to be allowed or whether they're going to consider his circumstances differently than they did with this Red Sox prospect.
2: I think it's going to be a little bit easier. I mean, if you remember, Brett Toth didn't even apply for the waiver. He basically was committed to his service. Now he's going to be playing. uh, We'll see him this summer. I think with the recent rules from the Department of Defense, it would be easier if a guy like Perry applies for a waiver, wants a waiver to actually receive that one.
1: Now we'll get to our final four reviews in just a moment, but before we do, a quick word from our sponsor. Support for the draft analyst comes from Manscaped, who brings you the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels.
2: Wow. Manscaping accidents are finally a thing of the past. Manscaped have redesigned the electric trimmer. Their lawnmower 2.0 has propriety skin-safe technology, so this trimmer helps you avoid nicks or snags.
1: Another advantage of this custom trimmer? Your current trimmer won't have to pull double duty below the belt and above the neck. That's just dirty.
2: Manscaped also has Crop Preserver, an anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer. You're wondering where I was going with that one. You already put deodorant on your armpits. Why are you not putting deodorant on the worst smelling part of your body.
1: Get 20% off and free shipping with the code BELIEVE at manscaped.com. Start the new year off the right way by using the best tools for the job.
2: So get 20% off and free shipping with the code BELIEVE at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Make sure you use the code BELIEVE.
1: And we're back with our final New Year's Eve game review, and that's the Alamo Bowl, which turned into a 38-10 route in favor of Texas over Utah. Devin DuVernay and Colin Johnson both got a touchdown pass, both had three receptions in this game, and both made some very nice plays, despite the kind of limited stats that they put up. Not a great game on the Utah side from either quarterback Tyler Huntley or running back Zach Moss. Bradley and A defensively did have a decent game against Sam Cosme of Texas. Javelin Gidry played pretty well, too. Up until the fourth quarter drive when Duvernay beat him twice down the field on contested balls.
2: And that's what's going to happen with a Guidry, who I'm told is very likely to enter the draft. I mean, he goes about five, nine, and change tops. So w- when it comes to the, to uh, winning out or battling, in his case, defending the contested passes more times than not, he's going to lose out. Another great game by Duvernay, who really has stood out this year. You know, you go into the season, everyone's talking about Colin Johnson. Colin Johnson. Duvernay has outplayed Colin Johnson this year, although Johnson has been injured at times. But I think you know, in a lot of ways, Duvernay projects better to the next level. He's faster. He's quicker. He runs better routes. You know, we've talked in the past number of times about these big, tall receivers who went out on the contested throw on Saturday, but they can't separate on Sunday other than out opponents, which really leads to ruin. And I think DuVernay really is in a good spot. I think uh, he could surprise people on draft day uh, if he runs well in pre-draft workouts, whether it be at the Combine, whether it be at the Texas Pro Days. He's had a really good year. I said when we previewed this game, the Utah team basically goes, or the, their offense anyway, runs the way Tyler Huntley runs. And if Tyler Huntley's hot, they are a tough offense to stop. If Tyler Huntley is off his game, as we saw in the Pac-12 title game, you know basically they can't move the ball, they can't score, and that's exactly what happened here. Huntley's going to be at the Shrine game. I never really thought he was a next-level prospect. I know he had about six or seven games in the second half of the season – where he looks spectacular, but he's just too, too streaky with his throws and his accuracy, uh, for, as far as I'm concerned, uh, really to be a next-level prospect. Ellinger has put in for his grade. I'll just repeat what we said in our preview. I just don't see Sam Ellinger as a next-level prospect. I think he's a very good college quarterback who, if he enters the draft or when he enters the draft, is nothing more than a last-day pick. Uh, his accuracy is wild. His throwing mechanics need a lot of work. Uh, he's a playmaker on the college level who just doesn't project well into the NFL.
1: Yeah. And with Tyler Huntley, it's, you see so many flashes of, wow. Okay. Why aren't more people talking about this guy? But then you see him air mail passes very inconsistent accuracy down the field. So he's two hit or miss and you have to go into the NFL as we've seen lately, especially if you're a guy that's a bit older and that has more starts in him. You have to go into the league a bit more ready than he appears to be. But Duvernay is definitely ready. I mean, he makes NFL plays out there, whether it's focusing on getting two feet in on catches that are along the sideline, whether it's really flashing late hands to keep defenders away from batting passes down or anything like that. I mean, he's a pro already, and he's really shown that this season.
2: I think with uh, Huntley, as well as Ellinger, I I think they're good athletes who are throwers, but not passers. I mean, they rely on their athleticism to make plays on the college level. That does not work well at the next level. It's okay if you're on the practice squad, but, you know, you, you're going to fall late into the draft, and if you do make an active roster, it's basically as a, as a, uh, a third uh, quarterback when they need three quarterbacks.
1: You can just run scout team whenever your team is facing a Lamar Jackson or somebody like that and be
2: useful that way. And you can make a lot of money. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, but, you know, when people are projecting some of these guys as third, fourth-round picks, no way.
1: Turning over to the New Year's Day games here. The Verbo Citrus Bowl pit Alabama against Michigan. The Crimson Tide won this one 35-16. The matchup we were watching heading in was Bama's Raquan Davis against Michigan's Cesar Ruiz and really the whole interior offensive line there. That's a battle I feel Ruiz won in this game. Davis was pretty quiet overall. I'd say his best reps came when he was going against Ben Bredesen. All over the field for the Wolverines was Joss Metellus. The safety had 11 tackles. Bama got big games from Najee Harris, over 100 yards, two touchdowns. Jerry Judy had about 200 yards receiving. And defensively, both Xavier McKinney and Anthony Jennings were really all over the field for the Tide. Michigan's OL won early in this game. They were running the ball very well. They were really controlling it. But eventually, they just could not keep up with the offense and the explosiveness of the Tide.
2: Which shouldn't surprise anybody. I mean, in our preview, we basically said, will the Michigan defense, uh, especially their secondary, which are good football players, but not great athletes, be able to slow down or contain the Alabama receivers who are just explosive athletes. And it was a resounding no. I mean, they had no chance really from the get-go where Jerry Judy's breaking long receptions. Devonta Smith had a, had a, had a real good game, didn't have a lot of production, but high uh, per catch average. Uh, I mean, these guys are big play threats. And You see the difference between the two programs. I mean, Alabama's playing for the national championship every year, well, except for this year, obviously, but they're at the top of the rankings because they have great athletes who are great football players. Michigan has good football players that aren't great athletes, and that was uh, exposed uh, uh, during the game.
1: The irony of that statement is that's true at pretty much every position except quarterback, where Michigan has an athlete who's a very inconsistent passer, and Alabama is on their backup quarterback who is able to utilize all these weapons and get the most out of them. He's no two-attack of Aloha, Mac Jones, but he still came out, played a good game, and got the ball in the hands of his playmakers, which Shea Patterson tends to struggle to do.
2: You got to wonder if Shea Patterson regrets uh, transferring from uh, Mississippi to uh, Michigan because at Mississippi, especially last year, he would have had all those weapons at his disposal. He played very well two years ago uh, at Mississippi. You thought the way he was playing and the fact that guys like Baker Mayfield were being selected so early in the draft with the top pick that it was basically a, a free ride for Shea Patterson to be a first round pick coming off his sophomore season at Mississippi the way he played. It's been all downhill since. Uh, And again, you know, let's go back to the athletes that Mississippi had at the pass catching position, whether it be Dawson Knox at tight end, whether it be those great receivers, compared to what Michigan has at the pass catching positions. Michigan, again, with Nico Collins and all those guys, uh, you know, uh, the uh, Donovan Peoples Jones, they're good receivers, but they're not game breakers. I don't know that that necessarily is the reason why Shea Patterson has played so poorly in the past two years, but you got to wonder. Going back, he's probably going to tell you it was the right decision if, if there's some regret there moving from Mississippi to Michigan because his game has definitely gone in reverse.
1: It's a conversation I've had with people before, and, and I tend to agree with you that it just hasn't worked out for Shea Patterson at Michigan like he might have hoped. But we'll finish out here with what were the two most entertaining games of 2020 so far. First one is the Outback Bowl between Auburn and Minnesota, a 31-24 win for the Golden Gophers, Derek Brown's five tackles look decent on the stat sheet, but they really don't represent the impact that he had on this game. He was wreaking havoc whenever he was out there, despite facing double and triple teams at times. Connor Olson actually held his own one on one the handful of times he was asked to go against Brown. But the big story in this one was Tyler Johnson, 12 catches, 204 yards and two touchdowns. Got to play in the slot and get free releases off the line of scrimmage. He avoided the top cornerbacks on the outside for Auburn. Those guys held Rashad Bateman and Chris Hottman-Bell to 56 yards combined while they watched Tyler Johnson just go off.
2: The big story for me here was you had an outstanding coach and P.J. Fleck, a guy who knows how to win, who knows how to game plan, who knows how to make adjustments against a coach like Gus Malzahn, who is a good coach on occasion. And constantly, you know, does not meet expectations. And we saw that in the final score where Minnesota, who probably was outmanned from a talent position, uh, from a a player to player position, was outmanned, beats uh, Auburn. Uh, A couple of things on this. You mentioned Derek Brown. It was obvious that uh, Minnesota game planned around him. They always kept an eye on him. You mentioned Tyler Johnson, who had a great game. A lot of people say, think Tyler Johnson's a second-day pick. A lot of people question why he's not been invited to the Senior Bowl. He's going to the Shrine game. Tyler Johnson's a terrific receiver. He's got average size. He's got average speed. He's got great hands. It doesn't mean he's not going to be a good player in the NFL. What it just means is he's not going to be a hot commodity uh, during the NFL draft, and he's going to fall into the third day of the draft. Right now, I had him as a fourth-round selection. Coming into the season, scouts had him as a sixth, seventh-rounder, so it's no surprise there. Um, but that doesn't mean, you know, just because you, you're falling from the fourth day or the fourth round of the draft on draft day doesn't mean you're not going to be successful at the next level. I'll tell you, the uh, Minnesota Golden Goal for secondary really impressed me. Chris Williamson, who I think is a late round pick, Antoine Winfield Jr., who we talked about last uh, podcast, who I think he's absolutely going to go through the process of considering entering the draft. There are some people tell me he's absolutely gone, and Benjamin St. Just a guy who finished with six tackles, broke up one pass, wasn't even mentioned by NFL scouts. He's not going to get drafted, but he's going to get picked up as a priority free agent. These guys have played well all year. We all know about Antoine Winfield Jr. Williamson has had a decent year, although they moved him from a starting cornerback to a nickel type position. St. Just has come in and played well. And to me, that was, uh, I thought those guys were kind of under the radar. Bo Nix finished with 176 yards passing, big deal, uh, Auburn couldn't really do anything offensively. And I think that the Minnesota secondary, as well as some of their guys up front, uh, Sam Renner, defensive lineman, he's the guy who doesn't get a lot of mention. He's not going to be drafted. He's going to be signed as a free agent finished with three tackles, one sack, one and a half tackles for loss. Carter Coughlin, who was a try hard guy. We're going to be seeing him at the senior bowl finished with uh, five tackles. I think that Minnesota defense who has a lot of, except for Antoine Winfield day, three picks, and free agent signings—guys who are not going to be drafted and signed as free agents—but will make rosters at the next level as the eighth linebacker, as the you know the sixth cornerback, or the uh, the seventh or eighth defensive back and special teams player. I thought they did a real good job in this game.
1: In Minnesota's got a lot of guys like that, where you know they don't wow you with athletic ability. You know, Tyler Johnson is one of them, and those type of guys tend to fall in the draft. But those type of guys are also. You know, the college producers who may not be great athletes, but they're just good football players. A lot of times those guys do translate into the NFL and they end up being nice hits as late round picks compared to a lot of teams will take athletic flyers in the late rounds. And yes, sometimes those guys work out too. But, you know, Tyler Johnson, Carter Coughlin, a lot of these guys you mentioned that are going to go late. People probably think we hate Tyler Johnson because we're not talking about him as a second day pick. I think he's a guy that can outkick his draft position. I just don't know that he's going to get drafted that highly, which in turn makes it easier to outkick that position.
2: Yeah, like I said, it doesn't mean he's not going to be a good player at the next level, but when you're you know six foot, six foot one, 190, 195 pounds, and you're running a four five five or even a four five two, you're just not going to be a high pick in the NFL draft. You're gonna to have to make it the hard way. And that's fine.
1: Last but not least, before we look at the remaining couple bowl games here, we'll break down the Rose Bowl presented by Northwestern Mutual, where Oregon squeaked by Wisconsin 28-27. It was another mediocre passing performance from Justin Herbert, just 14 of 20, 138 yards, one interception, but he had three rushing touchdowns, including a 30-yard game winner midway through the fourth quarter. Otherwise, the running game really wasn't working. As we talk about often, that line opens up big holes. C.J. Verdell runs through him. Verdell only had 49 rushing yards on 17 carries in this one. You would have liked to see Herbert do this through the air, but nonetheless, it's hard to deny that he was a big reason, if not the reason, that Oregon won this game, which is really something we've wanted to see all season.
2: You know, I, you give him credit because he, he, he turns out to be the offensive MVP of the Rose bowl, the three touchdowns. He did make a really important pass in that last drive, uh, on a second down throw to keep the uh, change moving and keep the ball in Oregon's hands, which uh, kind of sealed the game. But again, when you look at it from the lens of an NFL scout, it was just another uninspired performance. I mean, the, uh, Wisconsin defense, especially their secondary, is not that good. And you would have wanted to see more from Justin Herbert. Juwan Johnson had a solid game, five receptions, 66 yards. Uh, you, you know, at times in the game yesterday, you could see Quinton Cephas, the Wisconsin receiver, basically carry that offense on his shoulders. So it kind of cooled down in the second half. But in that first half, I mean, he was dynamic. you never really see that from Justin Herbert. Uh, and that's going to be the conversation moving forward. You know, another thing is he's going to hire an agent. Does he show up at the senior bowl? I think he absolutely needs to show up at the senior bowl if he wants to retain potentially being a top 10 choice. We'll see what happens.
1: And we say it all the time with Herbert, like he leaves you wanting more. And in this game, three touchdowns, did everything you could ask for him outside of throwing the ball at an elite level. And, you know, we're still able to poke holes in him. That's something that can be remedied by going to the senior bowl, by showing out in front of scouts, by letting teams, let you run their offense and what they want to see out of you and you know you say it all the time tony it's a kingmaker and justin herbert if he wants to be king we should see him in mobile in a couple of weeks
2: absolutely a kingmaker at the quarterback position and you know you, you, we're not ragging on justin herbert for, uh, for the sake of ragging on justin herbert but the fact is this you're not drafting justin herbert because you want him to run uh, score three touchdowns via his feet you know every sunday you, you want him to move the ball through the air and He really hasn't shown the ability to do that this year. Again, I I mean, they talked about uh, the game yesterday. They kept mentioning how he was booed as a freshman at Oregon. And I go back to really his sophomore season started off the year hot with that big win over Wyoming on what was a Thursday – I believe it was a Thursday night game, maybe a Friday night game. Thursday night game against Wyoming when everyone was looking at Josh Allen. And I I really haven't seen Justin Herbert be be able to top that performance where coming out of that game – you would have said that Justin Herbert was the franchise quarterback, not Josh Allen.
1: Now, we don't want to leave out the Wisconsin guys here. No sacks in the game for either Chris Orr or Zach Bond, who he discusses having half of Wisconsin's sacks heading in. The team only had two in this particular game. Again, only 20 pass attempts for Herbert, though, mostly kept clean. Tyler Biadez, the center, did very well against the power rush of Jordan Scott, which was kind of a concern of ours heading in. And you mentioned it before Quintes Cephas, seven catches, 59 yards, one touchdown. Fought through contact, fought through pass interference to make several catches. He's elusive and strong with the ball in his hands. He really had an excellent game despite only 59 yards receiving. And I'd say he's a guy who's definitely going to rise the further removed he gets from that summer acquittal.
2: Uh, Absolutely. Just as long as all the other uh, background checks pan out and and everything's okay there and, and he works out well. Still rough around the edges, needs some work on his route running, but really a big play guy who is also a game controlling receiver. I thought that Jake Ferguson, the tight end who's been up and down coming into the season, I thought Jake Ferguson had the potential to be a late first round choice if he entered the draft. He's shown some inconsistency, but at times yesterday, you know, you saw that big playability from Jake Ferguson and why he has the potential to be an early draft pick and a three down tight end at the next level.
1: I'm glad you mentioned the three-down part because he had several blocks that keyed some big runs for Jonathan Taylor in addition to the catches that he made. So just an overall good game from Jake Ferguson, which is really nice to see. Yeah,
2: and He's that type of guy. He, I mean, he's a big athlete who, while he needs to improve his blocking on a consistent basis, and needs to get a little bit stronger. He's just very athletic. He catches the ball well. And, you know, Wisconsin has put a good number of solid tight ends into the NFL.
1: Now, before we look at some underclassmen news to share and the remaining bowls, we do have another word from our sponsor. Christmas has come and gone, but the Super Bowl is quickly approaching. We've seen just what our teams are capable of this season, and now it's time to get your last bets in before the big games. Will the Ravens get it done? Can Tom Brady and the Patriots get themselves another ring? I bet you have a feeling about both.
2: Head over to mybookie.ag to make your predictions a reality. My Bookie is one of the most trusted in the industry. If you're looking for a sports book to make some bets for the bowl games, My Bookie is where you want to go.
1: Football not your thing? be strange if you're listening to this podcast and it wasn't your thing, but there's no worries even still. My Bookie has it all, from the NBA to the Premier League. They've got the fastest payouts, the best promotions, and a
2: very helpful 24-7
1: customer service team.
2: You can even pool your bets together for a bigger payout. Let's say you got a couple of big favorites this week. Parlay wagers let you bet multiple games together, and if they all come through, you win big. MyBookie has more lines and better odds for the player than any other sports book around. If you join right now, MyBookie will match your deposit halfway, all the way up to $1,000. That means if you deposit $2,000, you'll get an extra $1,000 in free money to play with.
1: All you have to do is use our promo code BLV to activate the offer. Once again, that's promo code BLV to get your extra cash from MyBookie.
2: MyBookie. Bet, win, and get paid.
1: Now, we previously reported on this show that Notre Dame safety Aloha Gilman would declare he has since done so this week, a couple days ago. Tony, where can we expect Gilman to be selected in the draft?
2: I believe he may also be playing in the senior bowl, if I'm not, uh, if I'm not mistaken about that. I knew this about Gilman, uh, and I was on this story while they were playing their uh, bowl game against Iowa State. Gilman wanted to enter the draft, but at the same time, he wanted some sort of assurances that he was going to be taken no later than the fifth round, anywhere between rounds three to five. Uh, no one can give him those assurances. I do have him as a fourth-round selection right now. He's got good size. He's an explosive hitter. Obviously, with a guy like Gilman at the safety position, a lot will depend on how he works out at the combine. Uh, But again, you you know, I, I think he made the right choice by entering the draft.
1: And he will be at the Senior Bowl to confirm what you were saying here. Another defensive back who will be at the Senior Bowl is UCLA cornerback Darnay Holmes. Hasn't officially declared for the draft as an underclassman, but the Senior Bowl site has him as an accepted invite, which essentially means it's all but certain that he will eventually throw his name into the ring. Tony, what's the latest on Holmes?
2: Yeah, it's a strange situation because I had reported a couple times both here and and during the college football uh, game day blog at Pro Football Network that I had heard that Holmes was entering the draft. Uh, Earlier today, I'm told that, you know, no official announcement was made and he was still interviewing agents, but he was going to enter the draft. He's on the senior bowl roster, so, uh, I mean, I guess it's a done deal. Uh, He's definitely in. I think the thing with Darnay Holmes that I've been told is he's going to work out great. He's going to look good off the hoof. But when you go back and watch the tape with Darnay Holmes, it leaves a lot to be desired. So you're really looking at a guy who's going to go in the very late rounds, could fall out of the draft come April.
1: Now some offensive tackle news here. Alabama's Alex Leatherwood is staying in school. Teammate Jedrick Wills Jr. still undecided, but he's not the only one. If we want to look at the Holiday Bowl matchup between USC and Iowa, both Tristan Wirfs and USC's Austin Jackson are up in the air Jackson struggled with A.J. Epinesa in that game, and you kind of have to wonder if that's weighing on his mind with this decision a little bit.
2: Maybe. Uh, I mean, uh, three different people told me today that Austin Jackson got very high grades from the advisory committee. Two people told me he got a first-round grade from the advisory committee, which is very unusual. A third source said, yeah, he was basically told by the advisory committee, if you could enter the draft, the time is now. With Austin Jackson, I'm told that it's still very iffy. It's about 50-50. He did People don't know where his mind is. I know that the USC coaches are making a hard push to bring all their underclassmen back. That includes uh, Austin Jackson, as well as the receiver, Tyler Vaughn. You know, he's a a pure left tackle. He's athletic. He's got good feet. Some people said to me uh, in the middle of the season, he could go top 15 in the NFL draft. I never agreed with that, but it's interesting that that opinion is out there. Everyone is told on the outside, as far as NFL advisory committees and the opinions that he's getting is that he should enter the draft. I'm told with Austin Jackson, it's still very up in the air, as it is with Tristan Worst. I mean, just a few hours before we, uh, we, we taped this podcast, I spoke with someone who's close to the situation, someone who told me in October, November, when I started reporting that Tristan Worst was leaning towards returning to school. He told me the situation is Tristan Wo still is undecided about what he 's going to do, and the fact is is we 're almost a week out from the uh, Iowa uh, uh, bowl game, and Tristan Wost, I think, universally is considered at the very worst a mid first round pick, and the fact that he hasn 't decided lends credibility to my report that he was leaning towards uh, going back to school. He may not end up doing that, he may end up entering the draft, but I 'm told re- literally as a few hours ago. Uh, he still has not made up his mind as to what he's going to do.
1: No, stay on the offensive line and move inside to the pivot. What about Creed Humphrey out of Oklahoma, Tony?
2: Yeah, Creed Humphrey is a second-day pick, and I'm told he's still uh, struggling with the the decision as to whether or not uh, he's going to enter the draft. Uh, He's kind of on the fence right now, which tells me it's 50-50. I had said all along I expected three guys from Oklahoma to enter the draft. C.D. Lamb uh, has already uh, declared. Kenneth Murray declared earlier today, we are taping this podcast on Thursday, he's already declared, I'm waiting for Creed Humphrey. Uh, A lot of people said that it looked like Creed Humphrey was going to end the draft. I was told as of earlier today, he's still on the fence. If he enters the draft, I think he's going to be a second day pick, especially a guy like Creed Humphrey, who is a mobile agile type of Uh, a move blocker, a a zone scheme type of blocker. And those guys, as we saw with Eric McCoy last year, usually go higher than expected.
1: Now we have three bowl games left on the slate. Friday afternoon's famous Idaho Potato Bowl between Ohio and Nevada has no prospects of note. So we will move to Saturday morning's 11 a.m. start. And that's the Lockheed Martin Armed Forces Bowl between Tulane and Southern Miss. This one kind of lacks a little intrigue. There's not much going on at Southern Miss. But Tulane does have a couple late-round shots. Wide receiver Jalen McCleskey, quarterback Justin McMillian, and also cornerback Thicarius Keyes, who's a Shrine Bowl invite. For those who watched Tulane Houston earlier in the season back in September, you saw McCleskey's final second touchdown to win the game. Minimal production the rest of the year, though, outside of that game where I think he had four catches, 120 yards, and two scores. McMillian's improved his completion percentage a bit this season, up to 57%, but also a few more turnovers, whereas Keyes – His size and athleticism fit very well at the next level. So Shrine Reek is going to be big for him to see how he fits in to the next level
2: puzzle. Now, I think Keyes is the only guy from this group that gets selected. I think he's probably like a seventh round selection. He flashes ability. He's got the size. He's also got decent speed, runs in the four fours. He plays big time football. He's not afraid to lay his pads into the uh, pile. Darius Bradwell, uh, the running back from Tulane, who came into the season with a seventh-round grade, more of your one-dimensional downhill grinder, six-foot-tall, 238 pounds, runs in the four sixes, a guy who 15, 20 years ago you probably would have looked at as a West Coast fullback. He's primarily a short-yardage runner. McCleskey has shown flashes this year. There just hasn't been a lot of production, a lot of consistency the Oklahoma State transfer, I don't think he gets drafted, but I think he'll be signed as a priority free agent, and he's someone you're looking at as a slot receiver, return specialist at the next level.
1: Now, Monday night has our final bowl game, of course, excluding the national championship, and that's the Lending Tree Bowl between Louisiana and Miami of Ohio. Raging Cajun's wide receiver Jamarcus Bradley, very likely to be drafted. Running back Elijah Mitchell, not quite the same odds, but both can make plays for the Redhawks. Tight end Andrew Homer is a guy who's a solid blocker and enough receiving ability to fill out the end of a depth chart at the NFL level. Offensive tackle Tommy Doyle, more of a small area guy, does flash at times, but also struggles with inconsistency. This is probably the best game remaining prospect-wise besides that aforementioned championship
2: game. Keep an eye on Miami cornerback Manny Rugamba. He's a guy who really stands out to me on film. Uh, he's only a junior. I don't think he's going to enter the draft, but it, when he does enter the draft, you're looking at a late round type of choice. You know, uh, Louisiana has got a couple of running backs. Raymond Calais, a guy that is well liked in uh, scouting circles, potential late round pick, smaller guy, more of your third down type specialist guy. You get the ball in space and he's got great speed. You mentioned Bradley. I think we're going to see Bradley at the shrine game. If I'm not mistaken, uh, doesn't have the great size speed numbers. Six foot tall, 205 pounds, runs in the four or fives, but very sure-handed.
1: And that's it for the 105th episode of the Draft Analysts, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe on any of the major podcast platforms and leave us a rating and a review. And feel free to ask us questions on Twitter that we'd be happy to answer on the show. As a reminder, head over to ProFootballNetwork.com to check out all of Tony's work. And listen to us every week moving forward for more as the draft creeps closer by the day. We'll be back next week on our regular schedule before we get into the two weeks of All-Star Games. But until then,
0: on behalf of Tony Pauline, I'm Chris Tripodi. Good night. Everyone has a favorite photo. Now you can turn yours into canvas wall art at canvasworld.com. Canvasworld.com will print your photograph on a handcrafted custom canvas at the size of your choice. They combine the latest technology and environmentally friendly inks to produce canvas prints that are higher quality than ever available before. And they guarantee their work for life. Maybe that's why six of the country's top 10 hotel chains choose Canvas World. Their prices are a fraction of what you'd pay elsewhere and It's easy. Just upload your photo, choose a size, and you're done. They'll even digitally retouch your photo absolutely free. Place your order at canvasworld.com today and save 35% plus get free shipping when you enter promo code PHOTO at checkout. Get big canvas prints at big savings at canvasworld.com and save 35% and get free shipping when you enter promo code PHOTO at checkout. Order yours today at canvasworld.com. That's canvasworld.com, where photos become art.